Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Jazakallah khair for having me. It's good to hear from you. Um, good idea to inform you know, those who are actually listening uh, that uh, we actually met maybe 10 years now. I was just thinking yesterday, it's been 10 years. Uh, the time yeah, it has was passed. Really, uh, I think in 2010 that we met. So yeah, it was a that, full decade. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how quickly the time has passed. Yeah, that's really true. And I'm just amazed that uh, it just seems as though I've known you for maybe a couple of years, two, three years, and then and then it's and mm-hmm. then I, I think about it, and then it yeah. uh, dawns on me that it's actually been ten years total, a decade. Yeah, it's true. It's been a full decade, and even the brother who introduced us to each other, he passed away. You know, a couple years after we met, and if you remember that. Yes, I remember that uh, totally. That brother that you're talking about, um, yeah. he had a bit of impact on me because of his kind personality, his focused nature. Yes, same, same, same. He was one of my closest friends, so honestly, one of my best friends in Allah Grant in general. I mean, I mean, even that person, even though I met him for just a few days, you know, I still sometimes from time to time think of him. Some of the observations that he made during uh, our trip and some of the... Uh, you know, the small things that he used to say during those uh, few days that I spent with him. Uh, So, you know, even based on that, even uh, our uh, meeting is something that I uh, think about from time to time whenever I see you post online or write something. It just brings Mm -hmm. me memories about uh, this particular brother and and eventually it brings me to to the idea that uh, all of us are eventually going to go away. And uh, we don't know when our time actually is. Um, That's true. You know, even even this uh, situation that people are talking about on the social media with the uh, you know Kobe Bryant, the basketball player. That's a message which seems to be coming up quite often. You know that we don't really know when the end time is going to be. So, in any case, you know, speaking on such themes. You know, the point is that we don't know when we're going to go away. You know, we need to do as much productivity as we can till we actually face the very end. This was something that I wish to uh, or, or hope to discuss during our time together. Except of productivity, doing the best we can with the limited time that we have upon this earth. And Alhamdulillah, Mashallah, Tabarakallah, you've written a number of books. For a person to write a single book is a monumental task. And I say that from experience. To, to write at least 10 of them, you know, that's, that's a different thing altogether. As far as I'm aware, you've got at least, you know, you, you probably have at least 10. Yeah, I have around a dozen books. The thing is, there are some repeat titles in there as well, because some of my books uh, have been published under different names by different publishers. So it looks like I have 15 or 16 books, but it's really about 11 or 12. Okay, 11 or 12 is still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, alhamdulillah. Uh, writing is uh, something that I just absolutely love. You know, I, I believe Allah has given me the soul of a writer. If I don't write, I, my soul feels agitated. It feels like I wasted my day. You know, it's just like something that's intrinsically part of who I am from the time I'm a child. I don't think I ever had a point in my life where I didn't think I was going to be a writer. I think that has something to do with this personality of introversion as well. There are people who generally find more, I guess you could say, attraction to the written word than perhaps even socializing with people. Would you say that's the case with you? Yeah, that's true because I work from home in a home office and I'm often just locked away in here with a cup of coffee, typing away on my computer for three, four hours at a time, 
full of joy and happiness. I mean, I'm not even missing society. Uh, I don't think I'd be able to do that if I wasn't the intro, but uh, it's just uh, Allah has given different people different personalities. And uh, what I found is introverts are more suited to writing while extroverts are more suited to social dawah, you know, to going out there and doing street dawah and things like that. You know, everyone's got their area where they specialize in based on the personality that Allah has blessed them with. In fact, one of the books I'm currently writing is called The Introverted Muslim. It's about this entire topic. A lot of people have asked wow. me to write about it. Inshallah, hopefully this year I'll finally get done with it. It does sound interesting. It does sound like an interesting topic. Yeah, uh, I've, I've actually got inspiration from that from uh, Susan Cain's book on, on quiet, you know, the power of introverts. Oh. And, you know, that book really, really had an impact on me. And like, no one's ever written about this from an Islamic perspective. But when you look at our history, if you look at the lives of Abu Bakr or Osman bin Affan or Imam al-Nawawi, you do see these qualities in their life. And, it actually contributed to their piety and, and their success. You know? So it's, it's something I'm, I'm going into and doing research on at the moment. I found this in one of the books on uh, Tasawwuf that it's easier for an introvert, uh, you know, to do tazkiyah to nafs and muhasaba and dhikr and, you know, these kind of uh, good deeds because, you know, it's easier for us to be alone. You know, to, to, to not be socializing. And you see this in like some of the Sahaba, uh, their personalities were such that they could sit and recite Quran for hours on end. And, you know, they, they, they would not speak unless there's some benefit in them speaking. And, uh, you know, they had this spirituality about them, uh, which came from them spending a lot of time alone. And even like if some of the Sahaba, even if you look at their lives before becoming Muslim, uh, they still had that uh, that spirituality in them in that they they spend a lot of time alone and they spend a lot of time uh you know uh, avoiding sin even before these things were made sins uh, like for example look at the, the issue of alcohol i've noticed things like alcohol and drugs uh these sins tend to uh, be more enticing for extroverts. You know, I mean, like someone goes to the nightclubs, they go to a party, they go to some place like this and they get uh, influenced or they get uh, seduced into trying these things out. While someone who is introverted is less likely to be in a situation where they influence to try these things out because they have an aversion to, to parties and, and nightclubs and stuff in the first place. Uh, and so when you look at the Sahaba and you look at people like Abu Bakr and Osman, they never drank alcohol their entire lives, even before Islam. Why? Well, when you look at their personality type, they were of that personality type that they wouldn't go near these kind of social circles where alcohol drinking was common because they preferred to be alone. They preferred to be contemplating. They preferred to be, you know... Uh, doing something beneficial, even before Islam. So again, this is not uh, something concrete yet. It's some research I'm doing. I know it may, uh, it's, it may be a bit of unorthodox research and I don't think anyone's actually categorized people of the past into introverts and extroverts. And those people who think the word introverts are a bad thing may be angry with me for doing such a categorization. But I think uh, the psychology research is actually a really interesting topic to dive into. So yeah, one of the reasons I haven't finished the book is I'm still doing research on that topic. I'm sure when the book is complete, it will probably open a, a few mental doorways in terms of understanding. I'm sort of intrigued by something that you said much earlier, and that was, you know, working at home. With a lot of people, if they were to work at home, they would get easily distracted. Social media, Netflix, exactly. all of that. Exactly. <laughs> how, how is it possible to stay motivated whilst you're working alone you know you haven't got a boss over your shoulder you've completed your yeah, work to be not. completely frank with you about this uh, one of my teachers who also works from home uh, one of my mentors he always tells people don't work from home he says i can do it you can't do it 
Uh, and I believe he's right. It takes a very uh, unique personality type to be able to work from home. It, it's not uh, it's not the norm. Like uh, when I've done a personality test, I normally score like 90% for self-discipline and for introversion. And I think those two qualities combined makes it naturally easy for me to work from home. Uh, but someone who isn't that naturally introverted or self-disciplined uh, may either get bored working from home, get distracted working from home, get unorganized, get lose motivation. Uh, it may, may actually have to train themselves to do it. Like I personally, I love this. I've been working from home for over a decade now, since 2010. I wouldn't do anything else. I love working from home. I love waking up in the morning, heading downstairs, making a cup of coffee and, and working from my home office. Uh, I don't see myself living any other way. I can't stand the idea of going back to an office, having someone watching over my shoulders or anything like that. I love my life as it is. Uh, and I make sugar for this every day. Uh, but I know a lot of people who tried this for one year or for six months or for two years and gave it up and went back to the office and said, it's not for me. Uh, because their personality type is different. A lot of times we, we don't realize this. Uh, it's not just about training, but different personality types are suited to different jobs. Uh, so, you know, the, for someone who wants to work from home, the first thing would be like, uh, is it really suitable to your personality type? Because if you have the personality type that you need someone watching over your shoulders, uh, then you're not going to manage working from home. If you have the personality type that you need to socialize throughout the day, you're not going to manage working from home. Uh, so I think that's the number one thing is personality type. However, having said that, it is possible for someone who is determined to do it, to train themselves in this. It is possible to train yourself in productivity, to train yourself in self-discipline, to train yourself to do things that don't come naturally to you. Like in my case, I'm an introvert. And when I was a child, I was extremely shy. Uh, the idea that I would one day be a public speaker, a teacher, someone going from podcast to podcast or, you know, making videos on YouTube. Nobody would have expected that from me. I wouldn't have expected that from myself. It does not come naturally to me. But I, I overcame that and forced myself to learn this. And so if I, as an introvert, can force myself to become a public speaker, an extrovert can also force themselves to become someone who works from home, meaning it is possible to train yourself to do something that doesn't come to you naturally if it's important to you. So that's the other way to go about it. It's much harder, but it is possible. As well as having discipline, I would imagine when working at home, you also need competent time management skills. Um, yeah, so like the first few years of working from home were like that. Uh, I think it took three or four years to completely adjust and for you know, family to know what times are suitable to interrupt and what times are not suitable to interrupt. So for example, they know around uh, uh, Salah time for Zuhar or Asr, I will take a break from work and go to the masjid. So they know that's the time to tell me to buy this or buy that or, you know, because I am going out to the house anyway. But they know when it's my writing time or podcasting time or I'm in the middle of an interview or, you know, I'm in the middle of something, especially my door is closed. So I've got this thing, the door is closed, don't disturb me. The door is open, you can't disturb me. That's basically become the rule uh, without really, really setting it in stone. Uh, so yeah, it took years to adjust to that. Uh, in the beginning, it wasn't easy. Uh, when I first started working from home, uh, it was at a time when nobody used to do this. You know, we're talking about 2010. Uh, the idea of having a home-based online job was practically unheard of in my community. I was the only person I knew in my community doing this. And people told me it won't last. It's not natural. A man can't spend that much time at home. Uh, you're going to get bored. You're going to get irritated. You're going to be in an office environment. Uh, people told me a lot of things. People couldn't understand it. Uh, older people couldn't understand it at all because older people don't even know what the internet is. <laughs> so when you try to explain to older people what I do, they're like, so you just play computer games all day. <laughs> that, that's, because that's all they know the computer is for. Uh, so it, 
it took a, a while for people to, what really amazes me is today when I go out there, everywhere I go, I meet people who are working from home. I meet freelance writers, I meet freelance editors, I meet people who have an online business, an e-shop, uh, people who are social media uh, experts. You know, I meet people who have these online jobs that literally did not exist 10 years ago. And it's becoming more and more of a norm. It, it's not everyone who's doing it, but we may have gone from 0% to 5% of, of people who are doing it. And it's no longer that strange to hear that somebody actually works from home online. Uh, it's amazing how much the world has changed in these 10 years. I would imagine since most of your working life involves sitting in front of a screen, that yeah. uh, during those moments where you're not working, you want to be totally away from that type of uh, yes and no. I don't want to be uh, uh, to portray a false image of myself. Reality is my favorite hobby is playing video games. So <laughs> yeah. uh, my downtime is spent in front of a different kind of screen. Uh, but uh, I, you know, one of the biggest problems I had working from home, to be completely blunt, is uh, about five years into it, I picked up a lot of weight. It, it was only last year that I actually lost that weight and got back into shape. Uh, uh, and that, that really is a, a danger for a lot of people who are starting to work from home. Uh, don't make the same mistake I made. Uh, if you're sitting in front of a screen all day uh, and not watching your calorie intake and not watching uh, how much exercise you do every day, you will naturally pick up weight. Uh, so last year, I made a commitment to get back into shape, eat less, exercise more, uh, make sure I'm not just sitting in front of a screen all day, make sure I take a walk in the park, make sure I take a walk to the masjid, if, whatever it is, uh, make sure that I am balancing my calorie intake and, and outtake so that I maintain a healthy weight. Uh, so yeah, that is a, that is a genuine concern when, you, when you're working from home because uh, even just working uh, from a computer or a desk job is not good for one's health. Working from home is you literally just moving from your bedroom to your office and sometimes that's the only steps you take the entire day uh, and you don't even realize it. Uh, so yeah, that was a problem I fell into many a few years ago and it was only last year that I managed to build up self-discipline to get out of it. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's the reality. When working from home, I would imagine that you get to spend more time with the family. Does it help you connect more with the family? Honestly, for me as a father, I think working from home is really the, one of the best things I've ever done for my kids, specifically because they are homeschooled by me. Uh, so I, I have like a, a really, really strong bond and close relationship with my children, you know, the, the kind that makes it all worth it. And I myself grew up without a father because my father was murdered when I was eight years old. Uh, so I, I, I guess that just made me compensate for that by being spending extra time with my children. Alhamdulillah, that. For me, the best thing about working from home is that I'm there with my kids all the time. I'm homeschooling them. I'm teaching them the Islamic studies. I'm spending time with them in the evenings. I'm having lunch with them. I'm having dinner with them. Uh, I'm not an absent father at all. In fact, I'm, I'm like completely involved in their lives. And Alhamdulillah, you know, another benefit of that is if I need to visit my mom or my grandparents, I can take a break from work and visit them because my hours are flexible. You know, uh, so it, it, it's Alhamdulillah, there's a lot of benefits to it. Uh, I'm quite intrigued by something you said earlier about uh, you as an in introvert uh, learning how to give speeches and lectures. Now, mm -hmm. did this come naturally after a period of time or is it something that you really had to work hard? Now, this is not natural for me at all. Right until today, if I'm giving a public speech or something to a new audience, uh, I feel my heart racing, my face going red. Uh, I get anxiety. I start thinking all negative thoughts. Uh, it's not natural for me at all. Uh, what gets me through it is uh, really uh, thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, putting my tawakkul in Allah. And so when, when I have to do something like that, I tell myself three things. Number one, I'm doing it for Allah. 
Number two, it's my responsibility. Allah has given me this because Allah wants me to do it and it's now my responsibility to do it. And number three, Allah would not put me in this situation if I'm not capable of doing a good job. And so I, I read my du'as and put my tawakkul in Allah and I go out there. Alhamdulillah, uh, anyone who sees me speaking in public won't know that all of these thoughts are racing through my head. But I can tell you, it doesn't come to me naturally at all. After a day of, of public speaking or uh, of traveling uh, to give lectures, I need to be completely alone for an hour or two just to, to recharge my batteries because as an introvert, that much time in, in society drains my batteries completely. Uh, so like I literally need like an hour or two alone just to to get back to myself. It doesn't come naturally to me either being around people that much or, or having all people's attention on me. Uh, I had to force myself to speak in public. I had to attend courses on this topic online, read books on this topic, practice, and most importantly, learn to trust Allah and make dua before starting. Hopefully those uh, feelings of fear are not in your mind at the moment. Oh, no, no, this is, uh, I'm actually very accustomed to doing podcasts so now, Alhamdulillah. Oh. Quite a few people invited me onto their podcast, so Alhamdulillah. The first hear. one was like that, but now it's, uh, it's something I've gotten used to. Oh, that's good to hear. Even if you're not naturally gifted at something, if it's important to you and you're putting the hours and the effort, you can become good at it. You may not become the best at it, but you can become good at it. As we noted at the very beginning, you've written more than 10 books, basically. Mm-hmm. Is there a process that you follow to get these books out? Yeah, so I made a commitment to myself a few years ago that I want to be a full-time author. Honestly, it's just part of my fitra. Like I said, I honestly believe I have the soul of an author. Uh, basically, you know, I was doing a, a personal development course and the, the teacher was asked us that if you were wealthy and you didn't have to work, what work would you spend your time doing? And I sat and thought about it and I realized I'd write books. If I didn't have to worry about money, if I didn't have to worry about paying my bills, I would spend all my time reading, researching, and writing. And that's when I realized that that's really what I want to do with my life. I want to spend my time reading, researching, and writing and contributing in this way. Uh, because books are the most important thing in my life. They help shape me to who I am today. Uh, books are the most important part of our legacy. And when I started this, I noticed a lot of the uh, Muslim Islamic teachers of our generation were not writing books. So they were more focused on YouTube videos and public lectures and, uh, you know, uh, Snapchat and these kind of things. But the whole idea of writing books was being neglected. Alhamdulillah, it's not like that today. Uh, I know a lot of people who are writing books now. Uh, so Alhamdulillah, that's changed. Uh, but I was honestly worried that what if this is dying out? What if this idea of uh, Islamic teachers writing is dying out? Because, you know, the excuse everyone makes is nobody reads anymore. You know, they say, so why should I write? Well, writing is our legacy. You know, I mean, when you look at uh, books like uh, Sahih al-Bukhari, uh, Imam al-Bukhari, uh, if he would think nobody's, uh, nobody reads what I write, so what's the point? Because anyone who knows his life story knows that towards the end of his life, a lot of people turned against him because of rumors that other ulama had spread about him, right? His book wasn't as read at that point in time as it is today. Uh, this is we talking about the fact that some authors don't see uh, their books, uh, the fruits of their books during their lifetime. Ibn Taymiyyah is another example of that. Uh, they didn't really see their books become widely read and appreciated un- uh, in their lifetime. This happened after their death. Uh, so, you know, writing for me became like my life's calling. It's something that I believe Allah has created me to do, to write. Having said that, to build up to the level where I can do it full time, it's uh, a lot of people say it's an impossible task. Uh, for me, it, I think it's a 10 or 15 year plan to get there. And I'm five years into that journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm at the point where my books bring in about a quarter of my income. 
Alhamdulillah, uh, people told me you can never make money off books. Uh, it's because nobody reads anymore. But Alhamdulillah, about a quarter of my income at the moment does come from books. Uh, so, you know, if, if I keep working at this, building momentum, writing every day, marketing my books, uh, building up that you know, my building myself up as a writer because that's something else I do. Every time I write a book, I go back, I look specifically at the bad reviews. What can I improve? What didn't I do right? What can I do better? And I try to make sure my next book is better. I make sure I'm a better writer before the next book comes out. I keep improving at this craft. And inshallah, within 10 or 15 years, I may get to where I want to be. And I think that's a, a major issue nowadays is people, when they have a goal, they want to accomplish that goal in one year or in one month. Uh, in reality, any goal worth pursuing takes a really long time to accomplish. You have to play the long game. This is what I'm committed to. I'm committed to writing. Now you asked about my process. My process is actually very simple. And uh, believe it or not, I, get, I actually learned this process from, of all people, Stephen King, the horror author, right? I don't actually read his books. The only book of his I actually read was his autobiography on writing. And in that book, he mentions his habit, which is to write, uh, I think, for in his case, 2,000 words a day. That's all he does. He writes 2,000 words a day. And in that way, books get written every year. So I committed myself to writing 1,000 words a day. Whether I'm in the mood to write or not, whether I'm tired or not, whether I have an idea or not, I write 1,000 words every single day. Sometimes it becomes a blog post. Sometimes it becomes a chapter of a book. Sometimes it becomes a journal entry. Sometimes it's just a random nonsense that nobody will ever see. But for me, it's building a habit. It's practice. It's refining my craft. It's getting myself into the mindset of writing every single day. And what happens is when I do that for two or three months, an idea sparks in my mind. And once an idea sparks in my mind for my next book, then I enter into a state of flow then that's the only thing I can think about for the next few months until the book is written. And that's, that's really when the book gets written. That's when I up it from a thousand words a day to 2,000 or 3,000 words a day because that's when I enter that, the state of flow where it's like it just con completely consumes my thoughts and write that, that book just becomes everything I think about and I can sit for hours writing it. So, you know, just to, to commit to writing a thousand words a day, uh, that has been the most important thing in helping me become a, a, an author who, makes, who has a book out every year. It's really helped me even when sometimes weeks go by without me writing anything beneficial. You know, I just end up writing personal journal entries and things like that. But it has really helped me to build up into becoming a full-time author. So what I understand from that explanation was basically that desire to write is basically like a muscle that needs to be exercised. On a regular yes, basis. when I don't write my thousand words, my soul feels restless. I feel like I wasted my day. Even if I did everything else, even if I accomplished a whole of other things, just the fact that that wasn't done, especially if I don't do it for a week, I feel like I'm yeah. wasting my life. I actually that, feel like that, I'm wasting my life. Okay. Is there any uh, method that you use to actually choose the topics that you write about? Are they just topics that you're highly passionate about and then you write about them or is there some other method? I really don't have a method. It's, it's a matter of idea just popping into my head. Uh, it's like when a topic comes, I just know it in my soul that this is what I need to write about. This is it. This is the next one. Uh, so what I do is I'm actually, I actually work on multiple first drafts at the same time. I have at least 10 uh, or 20 unpublished first drafts on my computer. But when I don't enter that state of flow, I feel like, okay, I'm not ready to commit to this topic yet. Maybe one day in the future. But once that, that feeling comes in, that's when I jump into it. So the topics can come literally out of nowhere. For example, one of my books, the topic came to me while I was sitting in a masjid, Juma time. Uh, I'm just sitting in a masjid, Juma time, and an idea just pops in my head, write about this. 
So I go home and I start writing and a few months later, the book is out. My latest book, the topic came, you, you, you won't even realize this, but from a, convers- from a comment you posted on my Facebook page, a completely oh. random comment that I don't even think you realize you posted. But Do literally my entire, my longest book I ever wrote, 300 pages came from the one comment. So basically what happened was, uh, I can't remember what the topic was. Yeah, I was talking about, I posted something on Facebook about don't take contemporary Muslims as your role models take the early Muslims as your role models, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you commented and said, but you my role model in productivity. And I uh-huh. said, yeah, but m- maybe Imam Nawawi or Umar bin Abdul Aziz should be your role model in productivity. And as soon as I pressed enter and I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I sent you that comment, the idea of my new book popped into my head. And now, one year later, I have my book out, Productivity Principles of Umar bin Abdul Aziz, oh. 300 pages extracting 15 productivity principles from his life. Mm. <laughs> it came from Very that one Facebook. Yeah, that's, that's quite good to hear, actually. You, you put a uh, bright step in my day, basically. Because of that. <laughs> alhamdulillah. So, alhamdulillah. One of the things I, I wonder, is, is it just Islamic books that you're willing to try your hand at at the moment? Or are you perhaps even thinking of doing something in fiction in the future? So my, in my youth, uh, especially in my 20s and in my teenage years, I always wanted to be a fiction writer. But for some reason, it just never materialized. Uh, there's this hesitancy in me to do it. Uh, I think if I ever do it, I'll do it under a pen name because not to confuse my Islamic writings with fictional writings, but there is a part of me that loves fiction and loves to write fiction. And at least four of my uh, unpublished manuscripts are fictional. They're all over the place from stories about the future uh, to, uh, to stories of, the, of uh, superheroes to stories of imams in masjids getting up to trouble. It's like all kinds of things. I have so many stories in me. Uh, but for some reason, I'm always hesitant to complete script and, and to put it out there. Uh, so that, that that's, is there. That side of me is there. I love fiction. Uh, I mean, uh, if you had to ask me about, you know, things that I really enjoy, it's, it's a good fiction. Uh, whether it's a novel or, or a series or a movie or a video game that has a good story to it. I really, really love seeing people come up with amazing stories. Like, you know, my past, my favorite story of all time is The Lord of the Rings. Right, both the movie and the book. It's just looking at it and seeing what the human mind can come up with. It, it fascinates me. So I would love to write fiction. And I have written fiction. I just haven't published it. Uh, the closest I ever came to it is my one book called Ahmed Climbs a Mountain. Uh, it, it's a very short fiction book, like 100 pages. It's essentially just a metaphor uh, for achieving your goals, written in a form of a short fictional story. Uh, that's the closest I ever came to actually writing fiction. But it's it's a part of me that for some reason I've just been hesitant to jump into. Or maybe there's the social stigma still related with fiction that's that's holding me back. Or maybe it's the worry about people not taking me seriously as an Islamic author that's holding me back. I think the one way I may actually do it in the future is just to have a separate pen name for that. I don't know. Maybe someday. Just you mentioned something within previous explanation regarding how some du'at or some scholars or some speakers they tend to mm-hmm. gravitate towards YouTube or videos or something of the like. Yeah. Uh, there is this uh, belief within the community or with, among certain people, I should say, that mm-hmm. written word is basically dead. Uh, how would you view that particular belief? Do you think that's a realistic thing? or? Well, I think that's just focusing on one segment of society. YouTube and uh, these kind of media, social media, they're good for things like uh, a bump in spirituality or instant motivation or, you know, a summary of a topic. But if you really want to dive deep into something, to learn something properly, to be transformed by something, the, the only thing they can really do that is a good book. 
an intensive long course one-on-one you know uh, in person with a teacher a youtube video can't do that a social media post can't do that and so yeah when people are looking for that spiritual boost they're looking for that bump in iman when people are looking for you know a spiritual high then yes they're going to go to a facebook post they're going to go to a youtube video and all that's good all that has its place all that is important but at the end of the day uh, there's also people in our society looking for something deeper. People looking to dive deeper into a topic, to learn more about a topic. Uh, uh, people who really want to master a certain skill set. Books are aimed at that segment of society. They're not aimed at the masses. So when I write a book, I don't imagine, or I, I wish, but Allah knows, but I don't ever imagine that a million people are going to buy that book because a million people, Muslims, don't read books. Uh, that's a sad reality. But if a thousand people buy that book, and a hundred of them tell me it benefited from them, it changed their life, it helped them improve this, it helped them improve that. Alhamdulillah, that, that's amazing. I mean, that's a similar reach to, to the average, uh, you know, uh, YouTube video that I put out anyway. Uh, and the impact is much bigger. Uh, so the, 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 there's a big difference between the impact a video is going to have on you and that a book is going to have on you. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it yourself. If you watch a video about purification of the soul, it's not the same as reading a 500-page book on purification of the soul. The impact is not going to be the same. The level of knowledge is not going to be the same. Uh, the, your retention of it is not going to be the same. Right? Books have a very special place in society. Uh, and people, they say that nobody reads anymore. I don't agree with that. Uh, there are people who read. It's just not the majority of people. But it's enough to be sustainable. Uh, and if nobody's reading anymore, maybe it's because we're not writing good enough stuff for people to read. Maybe we start writing better, people, more people will start reading again. You know, maybe it's because people grew up reading boring Islamic books that they assume all Islamic books are boring and they don't give the new books a chance. So maybe to change the culture, we need to write better books. And if we write better books, more people start reading. And once people get into the habit of reading, the culture will change. Uh, so I don't take this defeatist mentality. Alhamdulillah, I have seen from my own experience, some of my books have sold like 5,000 copies each, alhamdulillah, around the world. Oh. And people from all over the world have messaged me saying they read this book and they learned this from it or they read this book and it changed their life. And just that alone is enough to make me say alhamdulillah. It may not be in the millions, it may not be in the tens of thousands. Inshallah, one day it will be. Or maybe then I can do this full time. Uh, but for now, it's good enough to make me realize it's making a difference in someone's life. And that's what matters most, is making a difference in somebody's life. Uh, one of the issues that gets in the way of, of people's productivity is this issue of perfectionism. Mm. Uh, have you ever faced that? Have you ever yes, you know, yes, written a yes. book, for instance, and then going back and then doing it again and just refining it, going back again? Yes. So my first book I wrote in 2009 and my second book in 2014. And the reason, one of the, one of the many reasons why I did not write or publish any books in those five or six years is that I had really become a perfectionist in that time. I was so worried about my books having mistakes or not being good enough that I never bothered to publish anything. It was only really in 2014 that I regained my confidence and said, you know what, if it benefits people, I'm putting it out there, regardless of whether it's perfect or not. I can always do a second edition can always fix the errors later. I can always add more content later. Let's just start getting it out there. And so it was only in 2014 I learned to let go of perfectionism. Something happened. It was probably a book I read. I think it was a book I read. I read a book about the topic. I think it was a book about procrastination. Yes, it was a book about procrastination. I can't remember the, the, the name now. It was seven years ago almost. But this book on procrastination, is essentially, uh, it, boy, it was teaching you the reasons why people procrastinate. And the light bulb went off when it came to the reason of perfectionism. 
that a lot of people procrastinate because of perfectionism. When I read that, I realized that's me. The reason I stopped writing and the reason I stopped publishing is because of perfectionism. And so I decided no more trying to be perfect, just trying to be my best. Uh, one of the things I learned in business is when it's 80% ready, release it because it's never going to be 100% perfect, right? Nothing's ever going to be 100% perfect. Uh, I mean, when I look at the stuff I use in my house, nothing's 100% perfect. Uh, even the technology, the best-selling technology in the world is not 100% perfect. Uh, for example, uh, the Nintendo Switch, right? That's a video game device that I use. It's one of the best-selling machines in the world. I can list you all of its faults, but I love it and I use it anyway. Why? Because it does the job. It's good enough. It, 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 it does what it needs to do, even with all its faults. Uh, the PlayStation is the same. A TV is the same. A phone is the same. A computer is the same. Nothing's perfect. If you have a computer and guarantee there's some bugs on your computer, there's something that freezes, there's something that doesn't work properly, there's something that's too slow, there's a certain program that doesn't work on it at all, but you still buy it and you still use it, right? So what I realized is that nothing is perfect because we're not perfect. I mean, the whole point of the Quran being a miracle because it's perfect is because no human can write a perfect book. That's really the point that, that struck me the most. I mean, why would it be a miracle that the Quran is perfect if we could write perfectly? And so I learned to let that go at that point. And Alhamdulillah, uh, right till today when I publish a book, I know in my heart there is going to be mistakes. Even though I, like my latest book, I proofread it three times. I hired the editor, paid them over $1,000. They, they edited the entire book, proofread it three times. I put it through multiple AI systems to check it for faults. And then I published it. But in my heart, I know someone somewhere is going to find some mistakes in the book. And that's fine. That's fine because I did my best. Let's say there's someone out there, he wants to start something or she wants to start something that has some benefit. They don't know where to start, what to do. What would you recommend? What would you suggest? If you have something out there that you feel is beneficial to the Ummah, so my, my first advice to you is to do your research. Right? Do your research, make sure there's actually a need for it, uh, a market for it. It's something that people actually will uh, use. Because a lot of times we have this idea that if I do this, it'll benefit people and nobody, nobody shows up because you're the only one who thought it's beneficial, right? So doing market research comes first. Is there actually people who want this? Um, so I do that with every book I write, by the way. I first put up a survey, even every online course I develop, I put up a survey on Facebook, on Twitter, on email, and I collect the results and see if there's actually a market for it, if there's actually a need for it before I do it. And so that's the first thing, do your research. The next thing is jump right in jump right in and get started. And once it's 80% good enough, once it's A level, publish it, get it out there. Uh, learn from the feedback because the first thing you do is never going to be good enough, right? No matter how good it is, it's never going to be good enough. There's going to be faults, there's going to be mistakes, there's going to be things that can be improved. Uh, you really have to be open to the idea of improving, uh, which is again, something I struggled with when I first started writing. I used to take, uh, bad book reviews very personally. But once I learned to let go of that, those became the most beneficial, important reviews to me because I use them to improve my craft, right? So whatever you're doing, whether you're making an online course or a website or a product or a, a shop or you're starting a local program for teenagers, whatever it is, it's not going to be perfect the first time around. And that's perfectly fine. Just get it started, get the ball rolling. And then learn from the feedback from the, of those who attended, of those who buy it, of those who get involved with it. Learn from their feedback and continuously improve. And you will spend the rest of your life improving. And the more you improve, the more people that will come. And you will eventually, over time, reach a point where it becomes sustainable. 
But really, number one, do your research. Number two, get started. Number three, don't expect to be perfect, especially not the first time. If you do this, then inshallah, you know, you're going to go places. And also, I have to add one more point is you have to have a thick skin. If you're doing anything that benefits anybody, they are also going to be people who criticize you, people who don't like you, people who are jealous of you, people who think what you're doing is haram, or whatever it is. You really have to grow a thick skin to deal with those kind of people because I have met dozens of people in my life who started beneficial projects and as soon as the criticism came, they gave up. And you don't want to do that because criticism, it's just part of the job. It's just part of life. People are going to criticize you as long as you're doing something different or something new. So basically, as, as we wrap sure. up, what final piece advice could you give some of the listeners? How do they even develop a thick skin? You know, one of the best advices I have ever learned from other authors uh, is that you can't be a good author unless you read a lot. I, I myself read between 50 to 70 books a year and my teachers read between 100 to 200 books a year. Uh, so, you know, this, this is what you've got to aim for because when you are reading that much, uh, you begin to realize what is good writing, what is bad writing, what's a good way of writing a sentence, what's a bad way of writing a sentence, uh, what sells well, what doesn't sell well, what captivates the audience, what does not. Uh, and this really helps you to develop your own craft and, and to improve as a writer yourself. Uh, one of my teachers who's an Islamic studies graduate, uh, when, you, when you asked him about what's the best book to read to become a better author, uh, I was surprised when he said The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I, I think everybody who asked me was, was surprised when he said that. And, but it actually makes sense because that's the book that got me into writing. Uh, that's the book I tell my kids to read so they can improve at English in school uh, because it really is a masterpiece of English literature. In, in, it covers everything from metaphors to alliterations to, uh, to uh, you know, prose to poetry to descriptive writing. It's everything in one. It really is a masterpiece of writing. So, you know, find these kind of writings that have sold well, that have captivated people. And just see what have they done to, you know, what are they doing? How are they wording themselves? What, what are they saying? Uh, this approach will, will inshallah make you naturally a better author because you become a combination of all the authors that you read. And so inshallah, that will really, really help you to become better at writing. So with that, we'll probably conclude. Uh, it's already 2 a.m. where I am. It's, I imagine sure. it's 5 p.m. over there. Thank you for your time, Sheikh Ismail. I should give you, you a plug. Where could someone buy your book? Okay, so all my books are available on Amazon. Uh, so whatever is the nearest Amazon to you, you can type my name in there. All my books do pop up. Uh, but uh, if you want to buy it in PDF format, which I prefer, you can buy directly from my website, uh, which is books.islamicselfhelp.com. My books.islamicselfhelp.com. Uh, my latest book, Productivity Principles, of Umar II, it's over there. I also have a bundle there of all my earlier books, 10 books for $30, right, uh, in PDF format. So if somebody wants a starting point for reading my books, they can pick, pick up their bundle. For $30, you get 10 ebooks. Uh, so that's books.islamicselfhelp.com. Uh, that's where you'll find all of my books, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me and jazakumullah for, for everything. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to another episode of the Kalam Cast podcast. Our guest for today's episode is Sheikh Ismail Kamdar. Sheikh Ismail is a graduate of a traditional Alim program and also holds a bachelor's degree in Islamic studies. He has studied Islam in both traditional and modern settings and has been a student of Islamic studies for almost two decades. 
He began studying Islam full-time at the age of 13, began preaching at the age of 16, and wrote his first book at the age of 23. He has written over a dozen books and has taught multiple courses and seminars around the world. He currently works from home freelancing for various organizations and companies, and he also homeschools his children whilst writing books. Here is the interview that I recorded with him earlier. Thank <laughs> you.